0: The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams, auctioneers since 1793. To find out more, visit bonhams.com. Hello and welcome to a bonus edition of the Art Newspaper Podcast. I'm Ben Luke. Following on from the Hindu festival Diwali and to mark Bonfire Night on the 5th of November in the UK, two occasions celebrated with spectacular pyrotechnics, we felt this was a good moment to look at the history of fireworks in art. Simon Werrett is a professor of the history of science at University College London and the author of the book Fireworks, Pyrotechnic Arts and Sciences in European History. And he came to the studio to discuss the use of fireworks over the centuries and the differing ways artists have depicted them. If you'd like to see a slideshow of the images we're discussing whilst listening, please visit theartnewspaper.com slash podcast and click on the link to this episode. Simon, your book focuses on fireworks, particularly in the early modern period. But but gunpowder fireworks go back further than that, don't they? When 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 is the origin of fireworks as we know them?
1: Unfortunately, it's quite frustrating because there isn't a very clear record of when they begin. But the words that the Chinese used for a sort of colourful, spectacular effects carried over into the vocabulary for fireworks so so you never quite know when the gunpowder recipes begin to be used but essentially by about the 12th century there there's good evidence that they have fireworks and in the 13th century they have all, all the many of the kinds of fireworks that we still have today things like rockets
0: and your book it it looks at this period so around from the fourteenth century onwards, right? So, so you're so and and you're looking at this sort of development both in in terms of the arts
1: and the sciences and the interconnections between them. Exactly. So, so the thing I'm really interested in is how science and art interact, and I thought that fireworks would be a really interesting case study for thinking about that because there's been so many different ways that that um, science and and pyrotechnics sort of interlink. So I start in the 14th century. So that's, well, the fireworks come to Europe in the about 1380s. And uh, and then I follow the story through to the end of the 18th century and look at all the different ways that science and fireworks interact and, and inspire one another. And we're going to look in, in this
0: podcast at, at the way that Uh, fireworks have been depicted or shown in in the language of art or in illustrations over several hundred years. One of the things that I'm really struck by reading uh, what you've written about this is is that um, quite often what we're seeing is not really that tethered to reality.
1: So a crucial thing to know about early modern fireworks is that not many people saw them and they were often put on for the court. Um, so it would be be you know the aristocracy that would see them, but they didn't have these huge audiences there's no there's no radio there's no uh, TV so what you want to do is to capture the event and then um, let people see it through images and so they did that but fireworks until really the nineteenth century most fireworks are basically royal court propaganda so they are they are uh, they're a little bit like plays or operas that that give out a message about the the king or the the pope or whoever um and so uh what you're effectively doing is making pictures of them to serve as a kind of propaganda tool And so they have to look good, yeah, (laughs) and and of course what we all know about fireworks is that they often don't work very well, (laughs) especially the ones that we do in the sort of back garden. They don't go off, or they're not as impressive as we thought they were, or there's loads of smoke and so on. And that was true of all these big royal displays as well. So you don't want to capture that in a picture that's supposed to show how great your monarch is. Um, And so they are actually very, very um, carefully produced to to appear. As impressive when the actual real thing wasn't necessarily, you know, quite quite as good. So these these
0: displays, I mean, they obviously therefore had very potent symbols that reflected the power, the might, the success of the of the royal courts that they were
1: they were celebrating. Absolutely. So so another thing that is very different about early modern fireworks to today is that they were full of what you might call stage scenery. Um, so they told a story it might be a, a kind of classical allegory uh, or a symbolic kind of narrative about about the king or the or the state um, and that they used all sorts of um, images and iconography to do that um, so you know the king might be a lion they might be fighting a he might be a, a, a knight fighting a dragon that represents the the state's enemies uh, um, there's lots of rocks and suns and fountains and all all sorts of things so so it's really quite an elaborate vocabulary that they use and then that's that's represented in in painted scenery around which the fireworks go off what's intriguing
0: with that is that is that the, the level of artistry, the, of artifice, we call them feu d'artifice in France, of course, and and, 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 and you know, that there's a, there is so much
1: artifice, there's so much artisanry that goes into the creation of these extraordinary events, right? Exactly. So I, I think one has to think about um, these fireworks displays a bit like kind of big Hollywood movies today. So they have those kinds of budgets, you know, um, equivalent to, to millions of, of dollars today. And there's a very, very many people who work on them and put them together over over many months. So you have poets and artists who would design the scenery and the allegory. You've got soldiers who would make the fireworks and set them off. Um, you've got the uh, engravers and printmakers who would make the the images and and, and brochures and things to accompany them. Um, and they're often part of bigger festivals as well. So they're often with part of royal weddings and and. Um, uh, coronations and new year celebrations so they're really a huge huge event and yeah so 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 in terms of employing a community of artisans and people with artistic skills that there's a great that they're a big employer
0: let's talk about the engravers because what's what's striking is that something we have what are so what are so-called representations of events but these would quite often be produced before the event as part of a kind of brochure to, to explain
1: people what they would see and, as you say, not, not actually what they would very often end up seeing. Exactly. They produce prints and they include uh, a very clear representation of what you would see. And um, when you look at them, you can see uh, all the various sculptural and, and architectural elements that would be in the, in the display. But they are often... I mean, sometimes they're produced afterwards, sometimes they're produced before, um, but, but they are very conventional. So they're there to to explain um, what you should take from the display. And we there's lots of fascinating instances where people said, well, they did this firework and, and the smoke was so thick that nobody in the audience saw anything at all. And, uh, and, and there's even ones where they didn't even do the firework, but they still produced the print. And as I say, in a way, the representation is more important than the event because the representation is the thing that carries... The meaning of the display to a big audience um and these things would get sent to other courts around the around europe say um um to 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 show off the power of the people who put on the performance um so in a way the the representation is is more real than the reality um and uh and and that doesn't really matter too much as long as you get the message across
0: it's intriguing to to think that these sort of great absolutist kings in the 17th century, for instance, I mean, you think about Louis XIV, that there are depictions, for instance, of fireworks that were done for him. And, uh, you know, you you would imagine that he would see engravings from other courts and just up the game another level. Is that that what happened?
1: Yeah, well, uh, Louis XIV did uh, many, you know, amazing festivals at um, Versailles and in Paris uh, with fireworks. And... um, there's a very nice uh, description by André Félibien of, of um, some of the festivities at, um, at Versailles. And, and one of the things that they did in France was quite particular is they always attribute everything to the king. So, so they wouldn't say lots and lots of artists and pyrotechnicians made this display. Louis made the display and they're kind of invisible. And the way they talk about it in the brochure that accompanies these is that Louis is an alchemist. So he takes all the elements, fire and air and earth and water, and he mixes them together and he creates this incredible golden um, kind of explosion in the sky. So it's a kind of pyrotechnic alchemy done by the king. And it's an, it's a very kind of sublime picture of um, the power of a of a king. And Appropriate it, it, for the sun king. Exactly. Course. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And
0: one of the images that we're looking at now is actually not done for for a court. It's done for a for a merchant in what what is now germany in a principality within germany can you describe this because it because it seems to me to be really interesting in all sorts of ways because it does depict people it does uh, you know you clearly see jobs that they're doing being performed uh, and also it does have this sort of sense of a sort of an uh, sort of a stylized version of what of what actually
1: happened so so this is a really fascinating picture. This is one that we, we use for the cover of my book. And it is quite exceptional for all the reasons that you you indicate. Um, one thing to realize is there's a religious element to this. So Catholic fireworks tend to emphasize the front stage. They're about creating miracles like the, the golden alchemy of, of Louis um protestant fireworks are are a little bit more happy to reveal the backstage you know where they tell you how it works there's no miracle and and what furtenback is doing furtenback was interested in publishing books on the arts and and how various mechanical arts um are done so he published a book about fireworks where he explains how pyrotechnics are are made and how the how you perform that and that's i think what this image is showing so um what It's actually two images. Um, so the bottom two-thirds of it are various um, soldiers who are setting off fireworks. And one of the things that you did in, in the German principalities at this time, if you were a, um, uh, a pyrotechnic uh, a gunner, um, was that you would do what was called a Probefeuerwerk. So it was a test um, performance to show that you... It's like a masterpiece in pyrotechnics. So you show your how good you are at doing this. And I think that's the kind of image that we're seeing here. And then above that, there is a very interesting um, series of um, personifications of the arts and sciences, one of which is pyrotechnics, but you've also got kind of maths and astronomy and physics and so on. Um, And I think what Furtenbach is doing is trying to say pyrotechnic art deserves a place amongst the, the great sort of noble historical sciences that we, we have at universities and things. It's not just a kind of lowly gunner's um, pastime, but it's a, it's a proper science. And I'm giving you the, 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 the story of how it works. And so I'm the kind of pyrotechnic scientist. Um, so it's actually an interesting picture about science as well as the art of fireworks, because it, it tells you about how different kinds of practice come in and out of science, of what, what counts as science at any particular time.
0: That's, that's a really interesting thing. I mean, as you say, you're interested in pointing out the links between arts and sciences. And, and one thinks of fireworks as a kind of frivolous endeavour, but you're
1: pointing out that actually it, contrib- it contributed to all, in all sorts of ways to what was then natural philosophy. Exactly. And that's the thing I think is really interesting about fireworks in terms of getting at that question of the relationship between science and art. Because what we tend to think fireworks means chemistry it's if you mix up different chemicals you get different colors and effects but actually that's of only a modern way of thinking about it and it's only it was only really in about 1800 that people started to think of chemistry as what fireworks are all about and before that um, there's all kinds of different sciences that were connected to fireworks so in the 16th century um, if you said to someone oh what science is the would you think of if I said fireworks they would say oh mathematics because what happens in the 16th century is people like Furstenbach were trying to promote pyrotechnics as an authoritative art. And the best way to do that was to publish about it, because everyone thinks publishing is, uh, you know, gives credibility to you. Um, and the best publication you could model your artisanal treatise on was Euclid's Elements. So there are actually books about how to make fireworks that are written as if they're mathematical primers from, from the Greeks, and then that changes over time so you, so you have different you know there's there's medical uh use of fireworks electricity physics all kinds of different sciences have that kind of that interaction and it's different emphases at different times another way
0: in in the process of, it, of these sort of engravings that we see um another way that they are really interesting and I was amazed to see that Claude Lorraine had done a series of and a really interesting series actually because they depict in the way that others don't this process of time that is connected and also this sort of elaborate nature of these, these events. Can you explain that that series of uh, uh, engravings?
1: Absolutely so, so, so Lorraine, uh, Claude Lorraine uh, produced a series of engravings to um, capture all the different stages of a firework that was um, put on in 1637 uh, for the Holy Roman Empire. Emperor um, in Rome, and I mentioned Catholic fireworks and the idea of um, uh, fireworks as being miraculous. They they present a front stage and it and it's a kind of um, a, a surprising spectacle. So this firework was absolutely like that um, because it was like a Russian doll um, arrangement that you had um, a series of scenes which then exploded to reveal another scene inside, which exploded to reveal another scene inside, and what um, Uh, claude did is he captured though each stage in this series of of um images um so you see a castle blow up and then there's a equestrian statue inside and uh and then the equestrian statue catches fire and all sorts all sorts of different things and that's very unusual because normally when people were producing a single image they tried to capture the whole the whole story in one picture so the temporality in these images is fascinating. And by the way, these, these displays could happen, go on for hours. Today, uh, we like fireworks that get, give you as much bang for your buck in, in a couple of minutes. Um, but it, before 1800, they might be going for, you know, they're, they're a whole evening's entertainment. So you've got to get all of that into one picture. And what, what Claude's doing is he's, giving, he, he's re- reproducing the temporality of the display in the pictures. Um, and that's very unusual and very interesting, as you say. It's a, it turns it into a, almost like a kind of movie se- sequence um, and it gives you a sense of how the spectacle unfolds.
0: Um, You you talked earlier on about how many of these displays couldn't be seen for all the smoke and and you're right in saying that that, 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 so the images that I've looked at that you've pointed to very few of them actually do have smoke but there is this one by Paul Sandby, which does feature which features Windsor with this billowing smoke pouring out of it. What, What do you think what he was trying to do in depicting a firework display through the smoke? Th- th- what was he trying to
1: do that was different from those that had come before? Well, one thing I, one thing I discovered today is that Samby was actually appointed the drawing master at the Royal Academy in Woolwich, Woolwich Arsenal, in 1768, which is when this painting was made. And uh, Woolwich is where they made all the fireworks for the for the English court. So I wondered if, there's a, if, if it's a sort of um, reference to that. But... What you get in the mid to late 18th century is, is of course, the fashion for the sublime. And uh, there's a huge interest in, in smoke as a, as a sublime element, as, a, as, a, as an image that captures that kind of uh, awesomeness of, of, a, of a spectacle. And um, light and dark also become very important in that. And the, the most famous example of this is actually in the work of Joseph Wright, of Derby, so Wright very explicitly compares um, fireworks and volcanoes as exa- as as the sort of premier examples of the sublime. So a firework is is the ultimate artificial sublime, and a volcano is the ultimate natural sublime. And he would do pairs of paintings that showed that. So I think that's sort of the the context in which Sambi is painting this image. Um, it's actually rather calm. It's not um, as dramatic as 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 the the Joseph Wright paintings, but nevertheless, it has that that light and dark. And I think the the use the interest in light is also part of the Enlightenment. Um, so so one of the things that happened around this time is that people started to think of, about how they could use science, which was by this time was very popular. To actually imitate and make fireworks better. So, for example, you get optical fireworks where they use lenses and mirrors to to create the an illusion of pyrotechnics even without using any gunpowder. So, so um, so pure light and um, uh, a kind of management of all these elements through another medium becomes very popular. And I think that's what's happening in these in the right paintings and in in the Sambi. Uh, Painting, you can
0: picture them discussing in those famous clubs of the time. These the connections between the sublime
1: and these scientific developments, can't you? Exactly, and of course, Wright painted the um, famous image of the of the lunar. uh, Well, it has an allusion to the Lunar Society, but the picture of a natural philosopher with an air pump and the family around her, and that's exactly that's the same kind of Wright goes between pyrotechnic and and scientific images and they're all very unusual but they they capture that kind of connection of science and art and enlightenment that is i think so important at that time
0: things change in the 19th century don't they the courts become less dominant etc and so we
1: start seeing a different use of fireworks what happens in the 19th century is you get a much more commercial culture of fireworks so um it gets cheaper to to produce them they start to be imported that's when chinese fireworks start to come into europe as a as a commodity into an america um and um people start to go to the pleasure gardens to to consume fireworks where they pay money go in and they enjoy a fireworks display and that's when you start to see much less of that sort of scenery and 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 allusions to royal power although it does carry on in it really carries on to the first world war Um, um but but there are these commercial displays and and as i mentioned um there's an interest in in science and, and fireworks and using science to improve fireworks. So this is when you see, start to see colour become a big thing in fireworks. And the, the qualities of the fireworks themselves, the aesthetic qualities, their light, their effect, their colour, becomes much more important. And that, that reflects the fact that, that the authority of science has grown. And so if you use that to change your fireworks, then you know, you'll, you'll be seen as credible. So the architecture and the decorations drop away and more, more focus is placed on the fireworks themselves.
0: And this allows people like Whistler to make these extraordinary images of fireworks, as you say, completely secular images, images which are just about fireworks in space and in the sky and, and in the environment the landscape.
1: Exactly. So, so what we're seeing, I think, is really um, beginning around 1800 is a move to abstraction. So so fireworks are, might be seen as one of the first places where you think about the qualities of light and color in abstraction from the you know the material world or any kind of representation. Um and I think that's one of the things that's captured in the Whistler um nocturne because it you know it it's it's sort of the opposite of these um uh, early modern um images which are very concerned with with um uh capturing all the decorations and, and everything that goes with the fireworks, and, and what he's done is he's just showing the light and color, essentially, and the smoke. Um, and I, I think it's interesting with with um, with Whistler. Uh, he's a bit like the, the Claude Lorraine images in that he the temporality of the display is part of the story, uh, the, and he, he he appears to capture a moment in it the same way that the, the Claude Lorraine one starts, which is unusual compared to the other prints because they, they try to compress lots of time into one scene. And, I mean, as I understand Whistler, he, he was dead against uh, photography. Uh, you know, the idea was that painting could do something more than photography. And yet, ironically, the picture is actually more like a photograph than any of the other, <laughs> than his predecessors when they were making images of fireworks. They're unphotographic because they, they don't capture a moment in time.
0: That's true. I mean, you, you know, you or I can look at that painting by Whistler and we can draw on our own very personal experiences of fireworks and say that is a fairly
1: accurate representation of what a firework experience is like. Absolutely, exactly. And, and again, that represents that move, I think, from fireworks images being about communicating a message of power to, to being images that are much more in a commercial context and in a context of um, thinking about, light and colour for its own sake um, so so I think that's absolutely right the, the, Your point about abstraction is supported of course by the fact that this was
0: the, this painting that we're talking about Nocturne in Black and Gold, The Falling Rocket was the, sub, the fa- subject of the very famous court case which resulted from Ruskin you know, talking about Whistler. I'm paraphrasing here, but throwing a pot of paint in the face of the public, uh, and and Whistler suing him, and Whistler won, but it kind of ruined Whistler. But 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 this this idea of you know Ruskin objected to it because of this very abstractness that you
1: you're describing. Exactly, and I think another another thing that you you see in that move to more abstract fireworks is you're basically interested in in scientifically produced means to art um to manage light and color and uh i think so i think you're also seeing in that change in fireworks in the early 19th century the the roots of things like film and photography um because because they're trying to do the same thing uh can you make machines and chemical uh setups that that can manipulate light and um and and ultimately color to generate some of spectacular effect um, and I really think that that, um, you know, the things like the movie industry are the inheritors of those earlier fireworks displays because they are about communal spectacles and think of how much how much pyrotechnics there is in movies. Um, uh but they 're a kind of post enlightenment secular version of that, um, where you get rid of all the the smoke and the gunpowder and the smells and the dirt which which came to be associated with a kind of uncivilized way of of doing things, and you turn it into a a nice uh, sort of um, commodified experience. Not that we we eschew those things because at least once a year everybody likes to have. Um, a bit of smoke and 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 gunpowder smells and and you know the the real thing it's interesting, isn't it
0: because um i mean in, I'm intrigued by how the secularization of fireworks and how they sort and, and how uh, and, and you know the sort of popularization, if you like, uh, was conducted in those times. So, so like for instance, in Vauxhall Pleasure Gardens, you know, Cremon, the Cremon lights lights which Whistler was seen from Chelsea Embankment, uh, were these celebrating particular occasions or was it like going to the movies on a Friday night? How how did it work?
1: Well, exactly. So so that's the difference. So so the pleasure gardens start to um, come up in the 18th century. Um, and what they're doing is basically providing fireworks as accompaniments to music and dancing and and um, uh, drinking um in in the gardens for an audience that pays to go in so they don't celebrate a particular occasion and again what the how good the fireworks are becomes a, a, an issue if you're trying to attract an audience. If you're just telling an audience how the world is, then then the the quality of the decorations maybe is is as important as the fireworks. If you're um, uh, just trying to impress them with a spectacle, then then the quality of the fireworks becomes becomes important. And of course, today there's great competition to produce ever more impressive. Pyrotechnic effect, um, so so it does that. That new context does contribute, I think, to that more abstract culture of of fireworks. The advent of conceptualism
0: in contemporary art, modern and contemporary art, has allowed fireworks to sort of creep back in as a spectacle. And I'm intrigued thinking about psycho Chang, who's sort of probably the most famous exponent of the contemporary use of fireworks as art. You know, for instance, he did the Uh, firework displays for the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. This, it seems to me, is returning it right back to what you were talking about in terms of the 14th century and and pageant and celebrating a state in this
1: instance. Well, it's totally fascinating because when, I mean, when we were kids in the 1970s, that is, (laughs) um, everybody did fireworks in their back garden and there weren't that many sort of council local authority organized displays and over the past um sort of 30 years people have become much uh have go to displays organized displays much more um so you do see that change but what you've also seen which is great if you're a fireworks historian is these absolutely huge displays that that i think really kicked off with the millennium So in 2000, you had these huge fireworks, uh, to celebrate the millennium. And ever since then, we've had these very, very grand new year fireworks and the Olympics have huge fireworks. So you're going back to that kind of vast, sublime spectacle, which is a fabulous thing. And and one thing with fireworks, I mean, I often get asked about their appeal, their enduring appeal, and there is just something about them that is incredible to experience. And I think that's why they, why they last, um, But the other place where I think you see them going back to that older way of doing things is in advertising. So we're not far from Piccadilly Circus. And, uh, you know, the history of Piccadilly Circus is basically the the history of of huge illuminated colour signs that tell you about how great a certain thing is. And it's not a monarch um, it's a product, but but the essential idea is very is very similar, and I think there's a there's actually quite a continuity there as well with the old fireworks culture. What's interesting in the 19th century, certain uh, shops and manufacturers in London would have a kind of royal patronage, um, and they would display that in illuminations on festival days, and I think you can see how very very gradually that turns into modern advertising displays so there's there there are continuities but we're definitely um going back to these sort of big sublime spectacles today which is fun (laughs) (laughs) it's a good note to end simon thank you so much for talking to us thank you
0: Fireworks, Pyrotechnic Arts and Sciences in European History by Simon Werritt is published by the University of Chicago Press. Priced $58, and of course you can get it from the usual online booksellers. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and if you've enjoyed it, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. We're also now on Spotify. You might also want to subscribe to the art newspaper itself. Go to theartnewspaper.com to find the subscription to suit you so that you can read our reporting across multiple platforms. While there, you can also subscribe for free to our daily newsletter for all the latest stories. Click the newsletter link at the top right of our homepage. And why not sign up for our new monthly newsletter called Market Eye with comment and analysis every month from our market experts in London and New York. The Art Newspaper Podcast is produced by Julia Michalska, Amy Dawson and David Clack, and David also does the editing. Thanks to Simon and thank you for joining us. Join us on Friday when we'll explore a new Marcel Duchamp show in Washington DC. Bye for now. The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams, auctioneers since 1793. To find out more, visit bonhams.com now.